This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 87. This week, we are diving into what this looks like in a classroom setting. And perhaps you're a parent and you're like, not only am I not planning on ever being in a classroom with eight toddlers, but maybe that's even like your personal hill. But either way... I want you to stay tuned here so that you can see what it looks like on the teacher side. We are often talking to teachers about empathizing with parents and connecting with parents and really being able to see their perspective. I think this can be a really helpful way for you to see how hard it is to do this in a classroom, how hard it is to even just like have that job. And ways that we can navigate this. I mean, my responses are both for the individual child and for the group. So if you have more than one child, you're working with siblings, etc. These can often apply to you as well. So this was an episode in our Q&A series. If you are in our email club, our Thursday email club, where we send out weekly emails that take real life questions from you guys that we then answer in the email every week, you also will from time to time see a submission form in there. It's only something that we offer to our email club as a thanks for letting us show up in your inbox and for being committed on this journey in that way. But they, we will pop a little form in every once in a while if you want to be on the podcast, you want to hang out with me and ask your questions. This is one of those episodes. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. This is the second episode in our listener series where our villagers get to submit 
if they want to come hang out and talk about a certain topic or just kind of get one-to-one with me and dive into all the things. And today I'm super jazzed because we have both a mama and a teacher here today. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about you and, and what brings you here today. Um, I've been a teacher, mostly with two-year-olds, sometimes with older kids, for six or seven years. Um, it's what my degree is in, so it's really what I love to do. But And I just discovered you maybe in the last six months or so, and it's kind of just made me rethink everything I've been doing. And I really like it, but sometimes it's hard. Yeah, totally. It's for sure hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not easy stuff. Uh, yeah. But that's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. And you have a tiny human as well. Yes, I have a 14-month-old son. That's awesome. How has that been kind of making that shift from teacher? I There are so many folks that I work with in early ed who are like, oh, I'm never having kids. <laughs> and, and it's always interesting when folks do have kids that have worked in early ed to see just kind of like how that unfolds. It's way different for sure. And I don't really have the desire to like spend any time in the baby room anymore now that I have my own, but um, it's just, it's a totally different thing. Like I've learned so many different things since like, I thought I kind I didn't think I knew it all, but I thought I knew a lot, but I've definitely learned a lot since having my own. It's, awesome. it's just way different. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, today it seems like primarily we're going to be here to talk about the classroom. Yes. Uh, And that's awesome. You're actually the only one of our listeners so far who reached out with classroom questions. And I know we have so many villagers in our village that are teachers. Uh, I also think it's really (laughs) crucial. We talk to teachers a lot about connecting with parents and hearing about the parent journey and really trying to like find this rather than an us versus them, like find that common ground and, and understand their experience a little bit more. And I think it's really important for parents to hear a little bit of this too, to hear like what the behind the scenes of a classroom can look like and how much intention really goes into this. Uh, I was recently at a workshop and it was about early childhood and there was a panel of people and there were like eight people on this panel and not one single person on the panel had a degree in early ed. Not one person really was, it was outrageous. It was outrageous. There were like organizations of people who are working for early ed, um, a whole bunch of MDs and not one early educator. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> uh, we've got to be hearing from early educators way more. Uh, but at one point I was, I was chatting at that conference with someone and was like, yeah, can you imagine yourself in a classroom with four infants around you that you're responsible for. And this, it was a mom and her face just like changed. She's like, oh my God, no. (laughs) And I think that like, it's really good for parents to take a moment and hear the other side of this so that we can find this common ground and they can understand that every teacher is really giving it their all and, and bringing their A game and we can find ways to collaborate here. So. Let's dive into question number one. What was your first question for me today, Sarah? Um, So something that happens when we're trying to kind of implement the SEP method is that we get, it's hard to get one-on-one time with the kid that's upset because there are 11 other kids in the room. 
So I wasn't sure what would be really like the right thing to say to those like curious children or children who are just trying to get attention because that kid's getting attention kind of thing. Totally. That's an awesome question. And this also applies to parents who have more than one child because we see the same thing at home as well. Um, And a very common question we get from teachers. We actually, as a part of the SEP method, uh, have what's called a come watch, which is when a tiny human is expressing a big emotion in the classroom specifically that you really connect with them and bring attention to that emotion for two reasons one we want to normalize that it's okay to feel everybody has feelings and number two we want to bring other kids into from like an empathy standpoint how do we support this child who's having a hard feeling? And when I was doing this work, I was in a classroom uh, with young toddlers. So they were one turning two with me. It was amazing to see how excited they were to take on this role of like supporter when we gave that role to them. So I would say like, oh, Maya, you were working really hard to build that tower and somebody bumped into it and now it fell down. Uh, she was real big into magnet tiles for a hot minute and she was really disappointed. And so I'm drawing attention to that and connecting with her and letting her know, like, I see you and I'm here with you in this. And then all the other kids would look and I would kind of glance around and just be like, oh, what could we do to help Maya? And we actually had a little girl in my classroom who, for she loved this role so much. She like took it on very naturally. And she would like go get an ice pack from the fridge, no matter what the feeling, like you could have gotten hurt or your magnetile tower yeah. knocked down. And she's like, oh, an ice pack. And these kiddos could, a lot of them didn't have expressive language yet. And so they were looking at what they could do. And sometimes they would go help that child, like build it again. Sometimes they would go like give a pat on the back or offer a hug. And a lot of this was us like at first saying to them, like, I wonder how we could help her. Let's see if maybe she would like a snuggle. Um, And it gives them a also our attention and brings them into a role here where they get to be a supporter. And uh, then it gives that kiddo. Now some kiddos, don't want the attention. And so then what happens is like, if we go over to Maya and she like pushes away, I'm going to say, oh, looks like she does not want to hug. Let's give Maya some space and see if that helps her body feel calm. Do you want to come play with me over here? Like then I'm just redirecting. But I have then said, let's give Maya some space. And Maya hears that. And then I can give her this space. And in a minute, I might check back and be like, Maya, I'm over here if you would like some help. So that she knows like she's not alone in this. Uh, but she might not want all that attention. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah. So, so trying to get them to help might help the kid that's like trying to climb on me while I'm trying to get another kid to calm down. Because oh, that's, I have one specific child who's anytime another kid's getting attention for anything, he's climbing on me. Yeah. That was actually the little gal who I said loved the ice pack situation. She was like the one who, if other kids were getting that attention, she wanted it to. She felt like it was taking away from her. So this like gave her a role where she also got attention. She got to be a part of it in a way that was productive and helpful. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. Um, So what about times, like I definitely am for letting them feel their emotions, but what about like nap time? 
Oh, or yeah. a time when I really just, I mean, it sounds bad, but a time when I really just need them to be quiet because it's just serving other children. Totally. And that's predominantly nap time. Yeah. Um, other times, I mean, there's two teachers. So if it's like circle time or whatever, the other teacher could take a, a, an upset child out of the room if they needed to. Totally. But right. at nap time, you know, we're by ourselves because the other teacher's taking their lunch break. Right. So also for anybody listening, I want them to pause and hear that you have 12 two-year-olds and two teachers. So imagine if you're a parent, imagine yourself with six two-year-olds that you're responsible for providing quality (laughs) care for. Like it is not a casual job and this is a bigger conversation, but every single early childhood educator is underpaid and overworked. Just as a side note here, if anybody feels like they have free time to advocate for something, that's a thing. Okay. So back in action here. So when we're looking at like, you need them to be quiet because it's nap time. First of all, in the room of two-year-olds, I want to get all your kiddos sleeping because every single two-year-old really that I've ever encountered really does need a nap. A huge part of this is sleep pressure. I actually wrote a blog post about like how I got nine toddlers to sleep in 15 minutes. Oh, I got my director to move our nap time up like 45 minutes. I couldn't get it any further though, but we, we go, we're down by noon most days, which is as early as I can get it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I love this. <laughs> that's so, 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 so great. We are currently designing an online sleep class for early childhood centers because so many folks like miss this and then nap time is just brutal because you have overtired kids and everybody's mad at each other and sick of each other and like it's a disaster. Um, so good for you. So now all your kiddos go to sleep. Give me a little bit, give me like a snapshot into your nap time and where the disruptions are really happening. So our nap time is two out, two and a half hours about, and they all do sleep and they all go to sleep pretty easy. Um, but like I have one, she's fairly new, so it might get better, but she's been sleeping in like a half hour and then just crying for her mom. Like even if I'm holding her uh-huh. and, um, and the empathizing with her really works. Like if I'm like, it works like immediately. Like if I'm like, I know you really miss your mom. She's like, yeah, I do. I really miss my mom. <laughs> and like, it kind of helps a little bit, but sometimes it doesn't. And then I have another child who will usually sleep for about an hour and then just doesn't want to stay on her cot, doesn't want to play with anything that I give her, just wants to like run around. Yeah. And if I try to get her to stay on her cot, I mean, you know, it's licensing regulation. Yeah. Can't be running around the room in the dark. Um, Those are just a just, like she just like throws fits. And yeah. I like I understand I'm forcing her to stay in one place, and she doesn't <laughs> like that. But right, <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good, and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot voices. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. All right. So, okay. So kiddo, the the half an hour kid, I think that this will probably change. That's probably like, yeah, I'm hoping that'll get better. A daytime sleep cycle is about a half hour. So when we don't have melatonin flowing, so she's doing like one sleep cycle and is probably just still in the like transition phase where she's not syncing that cycle, like the next one. So your other kiddo who's two and who's doing an hour nap first, I would check with parents at home and say like, what does sleep look like at home? What's her typical nap schedule at home? How does she go down? What's her overnight sleep schedule to really get a feel for like what's happening at home so we can figure out why this might be happening at school. And maybe she does an hour and then she crushes overnight and that's what happens at home too. I had a kiddo that did that. And she also, she would wake up and was like, I'm up and was very up (laughs) and she was working toward like so first of all we use sound machines in the classroom do you have sound machines um I don't because I tried to bring in mine from home and it wasn't loud enough for the whole room yeah I I should try to get my director to buy us a bigger one but we just we play play music Okay. So that's what that number one, I'm going to say sound machines. Like whenever I wanted to wake my kiddos up, I just turn the sound machines off. They are really magical. I would use two in my classroom with nine toddlers just to kind of hit both corners of the room sort of thing. If you need sound machines and your director will not buy them, holler at you. Seed will sponsor you some sound machines. Okay. That is important for me. So we, I would start with that to see if like we can help sync this. And so that when she wakes up, the thing with music is that because it changes, it doesn't drown out voices very well. Oh, I know. When it's like switching songs, I'm like, freeze. Don't yeah. move. <laughs> Nobody make a noise. Don't make any noise. <laughs> so true. So with the white noise, like consistently being there, then what you're able to do is like create a spot, a table a something where you can put out Play-Doh or even just like 
throw a sheet of paper on there with crayons or books or whatever. And then the sound of the voices isn't as disruptive for the sleepers. Also, most kiddos will do about an hour and a half, two hours, or that's what typically what kiddos need at that age. So she's waking up at about an hour mark. We really just want to like try and get her for at least a half an hour to just like hang out at the table quietly, but the white noise will help mitigate that sound for everybody else. Again, maybe we can get her sleeping longer. DM me once you know from her parents, like what sleep looks like at home. And I can let you know if there are any little tweaks we can make all together for her. Okay. I know she's up pretty early because she's usually there at seven. Okay. Um, today was our first day back to school. She has older brothers, so she didn't come until nine, probably because they're and everything but I she usually is there like at when we open okay okay so yeah she might be getting like overtired by the time yeah. she goes down um, but I would find out what it looks like at home like on the weekends and stuff so that we can try and and figure out this core it's also tough because like that's often the kid that we're like I want them to be the last one to go to sleep because I know that they're going to wake up in an hour but it can be counterintuitive if she's going down overtired. She might be the one that you need first to go to sleep in order to yeah. sleep longer. So we can kind of tweak that. If you want to just message me and we can figure out what her specific stuff is once you chat with the family. Okay. Um, yeah, but then using those sound machines is huge. Is there another time of day that you need kiddos to like be quiet other than nap or it's really nap? I, I mean, really just nap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's use sound machines then and then create a table. Is there a space in your classroom that's like a little bit away from kiddos at least that they can put? Yeah, our whole eating area is kind of away from all the cots. My classroom is like really long and skinny. Okay. Um, so, and I, I have had her come sit at the table with me a couple times. She's just, I mean, this particular child is just yeah. very loud. Like, <laughs> she's, she's on the younger side. She was two in March. Okay. Um. She just doesn't really have an inside voice. She doesn't have a quiet nap time voice. When, like, a lot of the kids, you know, they'll whisper at nap time, and she just doesn't really get that yet, so. Totally. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so, so tough. Um, I once had a kid at nap time who would go and kick other kids who were sleeping. Ooh, so she was catching another sleeping child today, but she wasn't kicking her. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it was so hard. It was like you literally could not separate from this human. Um, yeah, so let's bring in some white noise then, especially for her booming voice yeah okay cool next question when two kids are like when two kids are upset in the same situation mm -hmm. how do you handle that like who yeah. do you control first or like if there was a conflict over something yeah yeah it's gonna be circumstantial so first you as their teacher know which kid really needs the emotional development support more? It's not necessarily the kid who got hurt or had their things stolen from them or whatever, right? Like I know that, and I've had so many. My director is like, "Don't pay, look, don't pay attention to the kid that was hit or whatever." And I'm like, "No, we had a no biting class who just like agreed with everything I've heard from you." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> my director needs to listen to you." My director was at the class. And oh my like, god, yes. They need the help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones that need the help. <laughs> totally. So it part of it is figuring out like which kid it's like triage, right? Like yeah. which kid really needs more. Um if it's that somebody got hurt, then I'm gonna go and like see if they're okay and give them some love. And then if at all possible, pass that kiddo off to your co-teacher or just let them know like 
I'm going to go talk to Jake and then I'm going to come back and, and give you some more love. While I'm gone, if you need a snuggle or if you need some space, whatever, like here's what you can do, like letting them know. Yeah. First, just checking in with them. What I don't want to do is then go over to the other kid and add any shame. So I'm not going to go over and be like, I saw you hit Sarah and now she's crying. <laughs> like, yeah. what I want to do is head over and be like, oh, you really wanted to play with that spatula and Sarah was still having a turn. It's so hard to wait and just empathize whatever the scenario was of like, because beneath every behavior is a feeling. And so I want to connect with that feeling first. And if they're like Tasmanian deviling, like just all over the classroom, they're for sure the kid I respond to first because I need to keep everybody else safe. So I'm going to then in that case, like go snag them. And again, emotion coach though. I'm not bringing them back over to Sarah to be like, make sure you say sorry to Sarah or whatever. Like none of that because right now they're already having a feeling. I don't want to add shame on top of it. So I'm going to emotion coach that kiddo. And then at the end, let them know like, oh, Hmm, I see that Sarah's still crying over there. I wonder what we could do to help her feel better. I know that you didn't want to hurt her. You're so kind and you would not want to do that. Like letting them know they're not in trouble for this. It's not their first choice either, right? When we're looking at something where they like took their toy or hurt them, hurt a peer or whatever. But really connecting, the kid who usually needs you most is the quote unquote perpetrator in this, is usually the one that really needs the emotional development support the most. They're the one who like had a hard feeling and didn't know what to do with it. So they, there was a behavior that's not socially acceptable or something along those lines. I often will buy myself time with sports casting where I'm just saying what I see without any judgment on anything. Just like, oh, Sarah, I see that you're crying. And I'll turn and be like, I spied Jake over there. Jake, I'm going to come chat with you or whatever. I'm not bringing them back together necessarily. I'm just like saying what I see. And that gives me a moment. The biggest thing here is that if no one's bleeding, if everyone's safe, that you pause and breathe so that you can respond instead of react. Because otherwise we just react to the situation because we have spiked cortisol now too. So making sure we can like pause and breathe so that we can respond to because usually responding to the kid who just like took something and ran away or hit a kid or bit a kid, it takes us being calm so that we can be intentional because it's not easy. I mean, you just talking about that made me think about a little boy I have, actually the same one that's always like climbing on me for attention. Uh-huh. Has this other little, this one specific little girl that he's always like pulling her hair or pushing her and he's not upset about it. And I mean, other than the, I mean, obviously we tried to do the stop it and I can't let you do that thing. But I mean, you know, with totally what uh, 10 other kids in the classroom, it's not like every single time there. And he doesn't do it every day. Yeah. What's her reaction? She cries. Is it different? Like if he were to do it to somebody else, would he get a different reaction? Does she ever like hit him, poke back? any sort of retaliation? Um, no, I don't think she usually retaliates. Like okay. he, they sleep next to each other. 
because they're just two kids that, oh no, they were just sleeping next to each other last week because the little girl that usually sleeps next to him was on vacation and they both need their backs padded. So I put them next yeah. to each other and he pulled her hair and woke her up. Oh my goodness. Okay. So like, so, there was no. Yeah. My guess is this kiddo is an attention request kiddo. He's seeking attention. So I want to find little ways to get him positive attention. I'd really be focusing for him aggressively on highlighting positive character traits and behaviors. Like I'm going to call him Steve. Like what, Steve, thank you so much. I saw you step aside so that Julia could walk behind you. That was so thoughtful of you to make space for her. Like giving him as often, sometimes with these kiddos, you got to look for it, right? Like <laughs> there are some kiddos where you are pulling at some straws, but um, I would really focus on like, we usually say a four to one ratio. I would make mine even bigger for him because he's looking for attention. And so I want him to start looking for attention in positive ways. Um, okay. So I would start there with him in particular. And then on top of that, like what we often see with kiddos when they've like targeted one human, it's usually that that kiddo won't hurt them back. So they, it's. Yeah, it's, that could definitely be what it is. Cause I don't think she ever has hurt him back. Yeah. And like, I mean, as they get older, not to like the word bully is, is very intensely used, but that's what we tend to see when kiddos get older is that like a bully quote unquote will target somebody that isn't going to hurt them back. It's somebody that they feel power over. And so I would then tend to the little girl in this situation so that when we are giving him the attention as often as possible, it's positive. It's for positive. And I, okay. And I would still validate like, Oh, she was in your way and you pulled her hair. I'm going to go help her body feel calm. If you would like to come help her, you could come over and give her a snuggle or whatever. And like, that's it. But that it's focused on her and that you're there to support her. And then outside of those interactions would really just highlight as many positive character traits um, specifically character moments, right? Where like he's doing something kind or being um, empathetic or caring or thoughtful. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would highlight as many of those with him as possible. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I was getting ready to go to a conference as a teacher in early childhood when a mom, a friend of mine was like, man, I wish I could go learn all of those things too. And I was like, dang it. I wish that too. I wish there was like a conference for parents where you could step back away from kiddos for a minute and build your toolbox and look at what you need to help you be the parent you want to be. Teachers and professionals in early childhood do this all the time, right? Like we take a pause and we look at areas that we need to build on and we learn more, we dive deeper so that we can be the teachers that we want to be. And so I'm creating this for moms. First off, mamas, taking a break and stepping back can give you such amazing perspective. And to do that whilst also building your toolbox, yeah, dude, I said whilst, it's one of my new favy words. It can just be incredible to then be able to go back to your house, not just feeling like, okay, man, I took a weekend away and I'm feeling refreshed just to feel right back in the same spot on Monday afternoon or Tuesday at the latest, but instead to go back with new tools that you can implement to try and help that burnout from creeping in to give you confidence in your parenthood journey. And at the same time, you get to connect with other mamas who are right there with you. Come join us at Mama's Getaway Weekend in Gloucester, Massachusetts in October. Go snag your ticket right now at mamasgetaway.com. I cannot wait to hug you in real life. See you there, sis. Okay, so what about other adults who aren't so on board with this because my my co-teacher I think she really tries and she mm -hmm. like she really agrees but then like we have a, a little girl that just started today and she was like distraction really works the best for her and like and I'm like yeah okay it's calming her down right now but the whole point is that that's not going to work in the long run right yes nail on the head. It is so freaking hard, especially in a classroom of 12 kids at the beginning of the school year when you're like, oh my God, I just want a little piece and routine. And you know that like, you're not going to get that for a little while. <laughs> I always like in September at the beginning of the school year would like completely clear my calendar as much as possible from anything, from traveling, from whatever, because I knew like September can be wild as new kids are transitioning in and everybody's trying to find a new routine and all that jazz. And just building attachment takes a little while and trust. So yes, distraction is a quicker, easier fix for now. And if we consistently distract that tiny human from her feelings, you're going to be doing distraction for a long time and distraction down the road is going to be some gnarly coping mechanisms yeah. um, because she's going to be like, Oh, I don't know how to feel this thing. It's uncomfortable. So I'm going to distract myself out of it. And it stinks, but tapping into coping strategies means like you're feeling the feeling for a little bit longer because it takes a little while for your body to process this. Whereas a mechanism literally just like numbs it 
so you stop expressing. She's still feeling. She's just not going to express anymore. Yeah. And it can be really hard from the adult perspective. And you're like, it's so much easier right now if I just numb this feeling with the distraction. <laughs> so all in all, I would say like, give yourself some slack here because we don't have to do this right 100% of the time. Just like as adults, uh, a mama texted me this morning and she was like, oh, I had a rough first drop off. Um, and she's like, I also just got an email from J. Crew. I'm going to do a little shopping. And I was like, that's a fine coping mechanism for today. Also, just like go for a walk at lunch or call a friend or do some sort of coping strategy at some point as well. And so they can go hand in hand. We can do a little distraction. And then when you feel like you have the energy, tap into coping strategies. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And like, like I said, the teachers that like I really work closely with and are with my kids most of the time are like pretty much on board I'm still working on my director but <laughs> he like I had this one little girl that moved up in June at the end of the school year and she really has some big emotions for a three-year-old and I was like really she really likes a snuggle and like my boss just feels like, oh, well, when she moves up to the next classroom, they're not going to be able to snuggle her. And, and I'm like, but she needs a hug. Like, she was, she was having a fit the other day. I don't know about what. Like, I just, like, walked in on it. Standing in, like, she wasn't, like, sitting in timeout or standing in the corner or whatever. But she was just standing in an empty classroom with one teacher while the uh -huh. other class in the other room. And she's like, I don't remember exactly what the teacher said, but she said something like, she just needs, like, she needs to calm down. Or And I was like, she needs you to help her calm down. Like, I, the older, the older kid teachers, I just feel like they have a lot, they have, a, like, really high expectations, and they don't, and I just, like, I feel like I should do something about it, but then what do I, that one teacher that I'm talking about now, I tell her all the time. She used to be my assistant, so we're, like, a little closer. Yeah. But the, um, I work in a Montessori-based preschool, so we have one certified Montessori teacher, she teaches one of the older classes, and I just don't agree with what a lot of, like, a lot of what she does, and the more I read about Montessori, the more I see that this is, like, totally in line, and, like, I feel like my school, a lot of the classrooms in my school are missing that, like, respect of the child part, and how, like, this kind of method would help, but our only actual Montessori teacher seems to not really do anything like this like she just thinks that they're I mean I don't know what she thinks but it seems like she thinks that they're just disrupting her classroom so she just wants them gone yeah well they are disrupting her classroom <laughs> and they're yeah. going to go disrupt another yeah. classroom until they have tools to express and process in a different yeah. way and I love that you brought up Montessori here because with anything Waldorf Montessori Reggio like any sort of I think it has become a marketing tool in the U.S. Um, to help. Oh, I definitely agree because my school is not super Montessori. And the more I read online, the more it seems like this kind of respect of the child and behavioral aspect is like the most important thing. And it seems like it's what we're lacking the most. Yeah. And I think that as we've had this push towards like play-based education and emergent curriculum, which is awesome and really like resonates in my soul. Um, for parents, it's really hard to, they're not teachers in early ed usually, or don't have a degree in early ed. It's really hard for parents to be able to sort through like, what school 
is a quote unquote good school or what school is going to provide this or whatever. And there are some buzzwords that show up in early ed and Montessori can be one of these or Reggio based or Reggio inspired. Um, and again, like a lot of these, I'm like, oh yeah, this aligns with my value system um, for some kids in how some kids best learn. And uh, a lot of the times in the U S we're not actually practicing this. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's a thing to note. We at Seed are working right now, are like 2019 into 2020 goal is to really design a lot of tools for early childhood educators and for centers that can support folks with on the ground, how do you do this? And also then for parents to be able to know which schools are using our materials and are implementing this so that they know, oh, this school is focused on emotional development uh, or, or not. And, and so we're working on tools like that for these teachers who they honestly don't know any different, right? Like yeah. they're pulling from all the tools that they have and they don't know anything different. And Part the set method has five components, and one of them is bias. So, what are our biases? And one common bias is about age. It's like, at what age and stage do you feel like kids are supposed to have certain tools? At what age and stage do you feel like kids shouldn't need support? At what age and stage do you feel like kids shouldn't need touch? Um, I'm getting this a lot from my like kindergarten teachers. And I'm like, okay, but if these kids come to you in kindergarten and they don't have emotion processing tools, they might need a hug and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how I feel. And that's definitely, I think that's definitely the issue with the older classes, teachers and my director that they feel like once they're three and or four and move up to that other class then they shouldn't need that. And I'm like, if I'm, if I'm upset, is it not okay to ask for a hug? Like, I'm 30 and I need it. Yeah. And my... <laughs> But it it is hard to to get it, and I've been slowly convincing people of things like the our our school has two classrooms at every age level. Mm -hmm. So the the lead teacher of the other classroom at my age level, she's always saying it's okay. She's like really trying to stop. Yeah, it's so like hard. For the first couple times, I'd be like, "But it's not okay, Miss Tori. Her mommy left her," and she'd be like, "Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm really trying to stop." <laughs> It's so hard to break those habits. We've been like, we have to like reparent ourselves, right? Yeah. And it, it takes so much intention and so much work. And what we know is that like, this doesn't have to be perfect. It never will. And so if we're just bringing that attention for myself, as I was like building a lot of these tools, I focused on like one area at a time. Like I'm going to focus on doing this first. And then I'm going to focus, for me, I focused first on like self-care and what that meant to me. Like drinking enough water because at school I couldn't go to the bathroom anytime I wanted to because you got kids there. And so I found myself like limiting my water intake and then being really crabby or making sure that I was eating often enough or making sure that I was pausing and taking a breath. Those were things that I focused on first that I found helped keep me regulated <laughs> so that I could respond better. Um, and, and, with a higher probability of doing this with intention rather than reacting. But it's, I think it, it will take time and we got to give ourselves some grace there. Also, like we have the podcast as a tool. So feel free to share episodes. Some of my favorites for teachers specifically are 38 on coping. 
and then I think it's 63, it might be 61, 61 or 63, with Lauren, the co-creator of the SEP method that's emotion coaching for emotion processing, which can really yeah. break this down for teachers, uh, for anybody. I don't think I've got anybody on board yet to actually listen to the podcast, but like, I mean, when I was, I've listened to most of the episodes, I mean, all the ones that I thought were relevant to me yeah. by now. And uh, for a month, for like a month or two, every day I was coming in like, oh, I listened to this podcast last <laughs> night. Let me tell you guys all about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love I, it. I did read um, How to Talk to Little Kids or whatever that is. How to Talk called. So Kids Will Listen or whatever. That but the one that's for younger kids, the one that's two to seven. Okay. Um, which seems like pretty in line with this. They do a couple things where I'm like, I wonder what Alyssa would think about this. <laughs> and... Um, but I actually am starting a book club at my school this year with teachers Ooh. and parents, and that's going to be the first book. So hopefully that'll, maybe that'll help a little bit, but. Oh, very cool. I also have two recommendations for your book club. I'll okay. say them on here so everyone else can hear. Self-Reg is one of my all-time favorite books. It's written by a neuroscientist, Dr. Shanker, and it is, it talks all about how, like, we teach self-regulation, and really this is going to come back to the, like, hugging of, like, We've got to co-regulate before we can self-regulate. And what does that look like? Um, and that there isn't like a magic age where you can self-regulate, but it's rather like learn skills. I love that the episode on co-regulation with the oh, girls yeah. and with littles. That really helped me think about things with my son, how to like transition from co-regulating to self-regulating and how like I wait for him to ask for a hug now rather than just like rushing over to him. Yeah, so. I love that. That's awesome. I started yeah. following her, so. Good. She's got a lot of good yeah. stuff, Katie. Yeah. Um, and, oh, The Whole Brain Child. Oh, I read that for school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you probably had to read it for yeah. early childhood. Also, just like nerdy goodness. Yeah. Um, Janet Lansbury has a couple good ones, but they don't, it, they don't apply as much, I would say, to child care, like classrooms. Yeah. Um, they're good. Yeah, I listen to her podcast, too. But it is all like parents. Yeah. And like, I, I love, we have a lot that we're in sync with. And sometimes I feel like it's like, okay, if I have a spare 20 minutes, I can do that. But what do we do when we don't? And that's where like in the classroom, we don't necessarily have time to dedicate to this child for 20 yeah. minutes. But yeah, cool. Oh, I'm excited about your book club. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so yeah, awesome. And I get an extra an extra point for credentialing for starting it. So. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> um, I also do workshops so I can always like we travel and if I'm going to be, you're in Maryland, is that right? Yeah. If I'm going to be in your area, I'll let you know and maybe we can okay. set it up. Cool. Do you have any other questions for me while we're hanging out? I think we covered everything pretty much. Good. Thank yeah. you for doing this hard work. It is, as I said, underpaid and overworked in the field of early ed. In fact, when we moved to Vermont, if I were to have taught in a childcare center here, I would have had almost a 50% pay cut. Just a huge reason why I left the classroom and went to seed full time. And I don't think people get that, that like people with degrees in early ed, it's really hard for us to afford teaching. And oh, that's yeah. not the case K through 12. Yeah. No, because honestly, I'm recently single and it is rough. Like it's not really, it's not enough money to support yourself, really. It really, really, really isn't. So thank you. Thank you for doing this work and for doing it with such intention for like outside of school hours, listening to the podcast and tuning into Janet's and 
checking out Katie Crosby's stuff and all that jazz. Like, cheers to you, sister. You're amazing. And I'm so stinking grateful that there are so many teachers like you who are doing this work. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.